coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. If the unit level economics don't make sense when you're looking at the company, don't buy it thinking that they might in the future. They probably won't. You know, buy into something where the economics are favorable and they make sense because at the end of the day, you're probably taking a huge step and you, your family is probably reliant on this as a business, on, as, a, as an income. And then one other thing to think about too, and this is just, you know, kind of high level thought. Keep in mind, just because a franchise is a franchise doesn't mean that you couldn't acquire an existing business that's already operating. Mm-hmm. And you might mm-hmm. say, one of the things that I've always been asked in, in, in the, uh, the real estate background you know, that I have that we talked about prior, and you've probably heard this a lot too with your background in real estate, well, if it's such a good deal, well, why is it for sale? Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Up next on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Bryson Smith, who is the director of sales for You Break, I Fix. All right, so today's episode, if you have any interest in franchising in any capacity, whether that be franchising your own business, so meaning you're going to go out and start selling your own franchises, or if you're looking to buy into a franchise, today's episode is something that you certainly are going to want to listen to. So Bryson has a long, long career in many different industries. We get into his upbringing, which was incredibly, incredibly interesting. Wait until you hear who his dad is and who his dad hung out with and actually how he who he hung out with growing up as well. Really, really interesting story. But he also helped one of the larger franchises in the country, one of the more successful franchises in the country. He helped start that and helped start them to grow and, and populate those different franchises. So really, really interesting on how, how to scale uh, your franchise uh, and things to look for when you're looking to buy into a franchise. We get into some of those things that should be red flags and warning signs. So again, really, really interesting stuff. There's all kinds of action-packed information here uh, in this episode. So I hope you enjoy Bryson on today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce. It was an interesting one, actually. So I have probably a pretty different upbringing. My dad was a presenter, a speaker, so Oh, wow. He traveled around a lot. I think he's got about 12, 11 or 12 million miles. I think he has 6 million wow. on Delta. So I, you know, was, uh, my dad was super entrepreneurial, did travel a lot, had a lot of different businesses, super, super hardworking. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a family where if you had downtime, you weren't playing video games, you were mowing the yard, you were cleaning the gutters, you were, you know, doing something. Every every year, my dad would would order somewhere between like fifteen and twenty tons of cypress mulch. I think just to see my <laughs> brothers, me and my brothers, move it and spread it, you know, around the yard. So yeah. that was my upbringing. We had fun. 
of course, you know, we, we, we had time to, you know, to be kids and, and all yeah. that stuff, but it was normally when my dad was out of town. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> when he got so, back to town, it was, it was work. And uh, I know you have a real estate background as well. My, my family is, is heavily into real estate and I, uh, we always make the joke that, you know, that my dad had kids for, for the support and the for, labor for, labor, uh, yeah. for properties <laughs> and, and different, different businesses that he had. So yeah, That's definitely great. a different upbringing, but uh, two brothers and uh, dinner was always uh, super comedic and a lot of fun. So yeah, very cool. Very cool. What, what types of uh, things did he present on? Was he, was he like, a, you know, a, I guess you could say like a business coach or was it more like working for a company where he'd fly around and, and do different presentations like that? Yeah. So going back to the 1980s, there's a gentleman by the name of Chuck Givens. You might know Charles Givens, who is very, very well known. He built a company uh, out of Orlando. And at the time he was, he was before Russ Whitney. If you've heard of Russ Whitney, Russ Whitney was another, there's also another guy that is out of Orlando named Larry Pino that built a company called Dynatech that was pretty successful. But yeah, Charles Givens, Chuck Givens, he was he was kind of the big player at the time. And my dad had some friends that worked for Chuck. And I think they were looking for people that had real estate experience from an mm-hmm. investor standpoint. And they were looking for people that could present and, and help others, you know, take that step. Yep. And my dad was recruited, I think. And my dad's very charismatic. He's incredible at uh, presenting in, in front of, of groups, uh, specifically large groups. And that's something he just did really well at, exceeded at. And yeah. I think he worked with Chuck uh, for a long time and then uh, segued to a few other companies. And in the early 2000s, he ended up starting his own company that, that was very successful for a long time. But yeah, he spoke to about a million and a half people on, wow. on real estate investing for probably, I don't know, 15 to 20 years. If you ever wow. went to a uh, learning annex event, which is Bill Zanker, Trump, and a lot of those, uh, Tony Robbins, a lot of those big names. And then he uh, worked with Peter Lowe. If you're familiar with him and get motivated seminars, he was one of their uh, probably most consistent presenters. I think he was on stage with, with uh, Peter for about 15 to 20 wow. years. That's cool. Uh, That's so yeah, cool. it's just different upbringing with, with some of that experience. I mean, growing up, getting to, you know, meet, you know, Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and mm-hmm. uh, T. Harvecker and Tony Robbins and, you know, all these people uh, all the time was, was pretty interesting. Yeah, that's really, really amazing. So that obviously shaped you. It gave you a foundation, right? And, and you know, we'll get into what you're doing today, but how do you think that that really impacted you? How do you think that, like, did that give you like advantages? Because I mean, you obviously were meeting these people. Were you necessarily consuming any of their content or, or, you know, going and, and seeking their advice on anything? Were you, you know, sort of able to be able to tap into, you know, some of the things that they were talking about at all? Yeah, I, I was. And, you know, at the age, my, you know, I didn't grow up in the environment or the household where, you know, we didn't have an allowance. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> your allowances, you get fed and yeah, you get yeah. the new baseball glove, if, you know, for school or you get books or the new book bag or whatever, which by the way is great. But I, you know, when, when I was in my teens, I guess what I'm getting at, you know, I was meeting a lot of these people, you know, seeing my dad, you know, take the stage with Rudy Giuliani and talking to them in the green room and getting to meet, you know, George Foreman, like all these people was really cool. Like it was mm-hmm. valuable, but at the time. I guess the short answer is I wish I was older 
when I met them yeah. because I would have, I would have been able to ask them better questions and I would be able to connect more, you know, on, on their level. But I, I do think that the information that I learned surprisingly, a lot of it, you do remember, or you're in a work, uh, you're, you're in a work environment, you know, and, and, and you remember something that you heard or, or, or you take something from a leadership perspective and you're able to apply it. So a lot of that sunk in, but I do think it's important for people to, and clearly I'm talking to myself, to, to continue to go back and listen, you know, to, mm-hmm. you know, read books and listen to, to information, uh, podcasts, audiobooks, whatever, however you learn. You know, some people listen better than they read and that's okay. Or, or taking seminars and going to different trainings. And even if you've done it before, I find going back, it, it, it kind of lights a new fire. And I think that's the one thing that I miss the most. I used to get really inspired going to all these seminars and meeting yeah. these people. There's this, this euphoric high that you get sure. that, you know, you're learning content and, and, and you're hearing new things and, and you have these new ideas and there's like this, this fire that's under your chair and you just feel like, you know, anything's possible. And then you get back into the real world and, you know, you realize that, you know, it's just good to, I think, surround yourself around that group of people. And I think that's the one thing I miss the most mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is just being constantly in that environment, which I was because prior to working where I am now, I did a, a few different things, but, you know, I worked in that industry for a while and it was just a lot of fun. I mean, there are cons to it, but, yeah. you know, the, the pros is just, you know, getting to be around that and the in- inspiration that you have day in and day out. Yeah. It's just awesome. So. And- and that's something that obviously everybody struggles with, I guess, you know, they go to these conferences and that, like you said, they're on this high and then, you know, maybe it lasts a week and then it's back to the, you know, back to sure. the same old grindstone. Did you ever find a, any tips or techniques or anything like that to, you know, sort of propel that forward a little bit more? Was it, was it actually, you know, just making sure that you get, get out and start implementing whatever it was that you were excited about, whatever it was that you learned as quickly as possible so that, you could start seeing the results and say like, yeah, you know, it does actually work and let that feed you. Or is it, you know, any thoughts on that? Like how to, how to cope with that, you know, that high and then, you know, stopping that from, from coming crashing down so quickly. Any thoughts there? Yeah. I, I think what I found, like the people that, that go to the seminars that are most successful, you know, whether it's a real estate seminar and you're learning to invest in mobile home parks or storage facilities or billboards, or you're, you're going to a tax lien course or an options course or crypto or mm-hmm. like whatever it is. I feel like, you know, a lot of, a lot of people go to those trainings and they're just, they're going, Hey, I want to supplement, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to continue to be a nurse or a doctor or, you know, do whatever I'm doing, but I'm yeah. just looking for that additional revenue stream. And I think a lot of people go to courses like that thinking that they just want an additional, you know, five, 10, you know, 15 K a month in revenue, whatever it is that they want. And then they realize after going to the course, Oh, Holy, Holy cow. Like this is a lot, like, it's almost like a full-time job. I'm not sure how I can do it. And then Mm -hmm. they take the path of least resistance. Like they went in thinking they wanted to do X and then they left going, okay, well I'll just do some options trading or, you know, I'll just learn something else. Maybe that's easier where I don't have to put as much time in, I feel like the most successful people that I met, you know, that went through programs. And I mean, we saw hundreds of thousands of people over, you know, the course of, you know, uh, the time that me and my brothers and my father did what we did. 
they were the people that had a burning desire mm -hmm. where, you know, it wasn't, you know, is this going to work? Does it work? It was, there's no choice. Like yeah. this is going to work and I'm going to make it work. And I'm going to take what I learned. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to implement it, be successful. But anytime where you just jump, you know, and, you know, I guess, you know, that old adage, you jump off the building and you learn how to fly on the way down. I think the benefit of getting training and support and having mentors or, you know, which doesn't necessarily mean you go to a Tony Robbins, you know, course, and then you get a mentor, or you take some real estate training or something. It could just be somebody in your community or somebody, you know, is taking your or family figure, somebody, you know, that's been super successful, having that mentor give you guidance, the flight on the way down is going to be much more pleasant, you know? Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to just straight down. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and something along those lines that I learned myself the hard way growing up is you always want to make sure that whoever it is that you're taking that advice, taking that guidance from actually has what it is that you are looking for. Right. You know, so, so a lot yeah, of people, it's true. you know, a lot of people will, you know, make, make it seem like they've got this, you know, life of Riley, they've got everything all figured out and all of that. But you know, when you pull back the curtain, it, it might not be that way, right? So I, I unfortunately went down a path of, you know, I chose a, a mentor that, you know, I was taking their advice and that, then I realized at one point that they were basically, you know, first thing that they would do is get up in the morning and go and, uh, you know, dial the bank to check on their bank account because, you know, they, they were basically living paycheck to paycheck. I'm like, well, that's not what I want. Right. So, yeah. so, you know, you want to make sure that, you know, you're, you're taking advice from somebody who actually does have, and it, it's difficult to sure. bet that, right. It's difficult to be able to, to find those it people is. that, you know, truly do have that. It but, is. Uh, and, and, and I will say that I think you, you bring up a really good point. I think, you know, some of the best advice and, and this, I would say one one thing that I took away from a lot of those inspirational people that I grew up around and, and I got you know the opportunity to meet at a young age, one of the things that I took away is I've always tried to surround myself with people that are uplifting, inspiring, and people that are doing better or bigger than I am mm -hmm. or, or, or more successful than I am. And, and success doesn't necessarily always mean financial success. Like at the end of the day, you know, I don't want to follow somebody to success and yeah. they're a horrible human being that doesn't yeah. do anything for their community, but they're wealthy because at the end of the day, you know, money doesn't buy happiness. Exactly. You know, if you're a exactly. miserable person and you got money, you're, a, you know, a miserable rich person who right. ultimately right. is a fill in the blank, right? Yeah. And yeah. nobody wants to, to be that person. So that's something that I think I learned that, that I did. And I think it's something that people should do. And I know it's kind of cliche and it's like, oh, surround yourself with people that are that also the moment, like, you know, if you're in a corporate gig or, you know, you're looking to do something, step out of your comfort zone or start a business or start a podcast or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you, you, you ultimately get people, you know, that maybe are comfortable with working with you at corporate or they're, you know, they're, they're, they're wanting you to kind of, you know, they want that status quo and they, they're the ones that ultimately right out of the gate, they're like, Hey, you know, well, what if you fail, you know, two out of three businesses fail or, and, and that's garbage. You, you got to surround yeah. yourself with people that, you know, are going to support you and say, Hey, it is going to be tough, but mm -hmm. you know, I know this is your dream and I know this is what you want to do. And, and, and I'm behind you, you can do it. Like and by that. the way, I know some people that can help, you know, here's some people that I know that you might not know that could, you know, maybe give you some guidance and support. So that's one thing that's really helped me because, you know, sometimes times are tough. And if you don't have a good group around you, that's encouraging you starting with your spouse, you know, that's yeah, a problem. Right. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. It, yeah. It's so easy to get sucked down into the, into the, yeah. into the negativity of things. So, but yeah, no, completely agree. Having a positive outlook on everything, no matter how bad it is, you know, is, is always the best way to be able to approach things. So love it. Love it. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. And one other thing to say there too, before I forget, I, th I think that, and I'm not, I'm not knocking the industry that, you know, my, my, my father cut his teeth in and, and actually he's, he still speaks, which is crazy. He's a madman, but you know, the industry in general, you have a lot of people that speak about it, but mm -hmm. that don't do it. And I think, you know, one yeah. of the things that, you know, I was proud of a lot of the people that we worked with did what, you know, what they talked about. But that's, that's always been a challenging thing in the industry is full of people that are talking about options trading or talking about, you know, whatever they're selling and they ultimately don't do it. And, and that was one of the reasons why I, I ended up moving on from that industry in general is I just, I wanted to, you know, move on to something else and just, you know, try something totally different. And that's yeah. what landed me in the franchising space. Yeah. Love it. Which, which brings us to, to where we are today, right? So, so you where I believe you said employee number 12 at iBreak Ufix. Is that right? You break iFix, yeah. I and I think it was 12 or 13, somewhere around there. And it was interesting how I came across you break iFix. I so my wife is awesome. She ultimately introduced me to the founder and CEO of, of You Break iFix. He's no longer the CEO, but but the founder and he's still an advisor, still on with the company. His name is Justin Weatherall. Definitely anybody listening, Google him if there's videos or content on him or right. The, the guy's incredible. Yeah. But Justin, UCF student out of Orlando, Florida, was working at a UCF into, so he graduated UCF, I want to say 06, 07, and was working for a consulting firm called Hewitt, which I think Aon Hewitt, I think is a huge, huge company, uh, finance degree, finance background. He broke his phone, bumped into some gal uh, in Orlando, broke his phone. Uh, it was an iPhone 3G throwback, right? Yeah. He went online to try to figure out how to repair it, ordered some parts off eBay. He tore his phone up even more, was bound to figure out how to fix the, the dang thing, ordered more parts, ended up, you know, fixing his phone. People knew about it, heard about it, you know, that were friends of his, uh, coworkers, people we went to school with. Oh, I broke mine too. And there's really nobody in town. You know, can you help me? And he started fixing people's phones at the Panera Bread wow. over off University Boulevard in Orlando. And you'd meet people at lunch break, would meet them, pick up their phone. He would do some of the work, but he actually had his, it's actually a good friend of mine. Carlos Marmo was his first employee <laughs> who was his roommate. So he'd take the phones back. Carlos, you know, would fix them. And they started marketing, basically brought on another partner, uh, David Reif, who was a mechanical engineer, just graduated, was working at Lockheed Martin in Orlando as well. David put together an eBay listing, you know, where they started, you know, getting eight to 10 different, you know, phones being mailed mm -hmm, to them mm -hmm. a week. And Carlos, Justin's roommate, literally just had a tent in the middle of the living room and was knocking out repairs during wow. the day. Justin would come home from work. That was the birth of, of You Break I Fix in 2008. And then uh, we opened the first retail store in 2009 in Orlando. From 2009 to 2013, 47 corporate retail owned by the three guys, Justin, David, and Eddie, three, three different guys, uh, were opened mainly throughout Florida. And there were a few outside of the state and that was all pre-franchising. So mm -hmm. I met Justin, I guess where I come in and where, you know, to give you that timeline, my, I met my wife back in 2012 
when I met her, you know, she talked about her best friend, Jenny. Jenny's awesome. And Jenny married Justin, the founder okay. of, of, of You Break, I Fix. So they grew up together. So I got to know Justin and just such a cool guy. First time I met him, he's the, he's the guy like in, you know, at the high school lunch table that, you know, the jocks, the thespians, the, you know, yeah. everybody wants to sit and hang with Justin. He's just that guy. He's just, everybody likes him. Yeah. And when I first met him, I was like, there's something, you know, special about this guy. And I was looking to pursue, buy some franchises in Orlando. I wanted yeah. to start something, ideally buy something existing. Cause I think franchising is really cool. And I think it gives people a huge hand up and it helps, helps people get where they want to go a lot faster typically, because there's sure. a recipe or a playbook in place. So I wanted to buy something in Orlando. And then I met Justin and I was like, wow, do you have any opportunities in Orlando? And he's like, yeah, you know, we do. And I was actually going to franchise with him and do maybe two or three locations in Orlando. I really believed in him and the concept. I love service-based businesses in general. And he's super convincing. And he just said, hey man, why don't you, why don't you not do that? Why don't you come work for me instead? And here I am. So like literally yeah. uh, over seven years later, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm still here, but I came on board with You Break, I Fix when we had about, I want to say we had 58, 60 locations. We had just started franchising Okay. and, you know, I hired a, a team and we've grown a lot over the years. Now I think we've got 730 doors open and we've sold another 500 in addition to those wow. 700. So it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. My brother, one of my brothers, it's not his full-time thing, but he's got franchises in the Panhandle and also in uh, Georgia. My mom was a franchisee for four years. She sold and is now retired. So I, it's a family affair. I've got yeah. you know family uh, that still <laughs> own franchises today. So that yeah, is it's really cool. fun. That is really really yeah. cool. So so they they already had the franchising package put together when you came on board, right? They did. They did. And and one of the things that Justin did, I give him huge credit for this. So Justin, going back to the mentor mm -hmm. conversation that we had, Justin's, I believe, uncle, yeah, I think it's his uncle, is a, is a very uh, well-known high-level attorney out in California that I think is a, an IP patent attorney, I believe. Okay. So when Justin was looking to franchise this, he didn't just go on LegalZoom. And by the way, I'm not throwing shade at LegalZoom. I think LegalZoom is great for a lot of different needs. But when you've got 47 retail stores and you're trying to, you know, start a franchise, you yeah. don't go for the free template, you, you know, Google, you know, free franchise disclosure documents, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, if you're trying to put together a syndication for real estate, you probably shouldn't just Google like, you know, private exactly. placement offering and pick yeah. the first one you see. <laughs> You should probably hire an attorney and get the best that you can find, regardless if, if you can't afford them, figure that out, you know, yeah. figure out how you can, you know, sell plasma or, you know, partner, <laughs> whatever you need to do uh, to do it right. And yeah. he did, he brought on an attorney who's really reputable, who's very well known in franchising. They spent a lot of money on it and they got a, an FDD done really, really well in 2013. So when I came on board, there was an FDD, a disclosure document in place that the FTC does regulate franchising and oversees, you know, the space. Mm -hmm. And what, what I was able to help do was, you know, to more so, and, and this isn't to take anything away from them, they were doing a great job prior to me. But what I was able to do is really focus on on sales in general, mm -hmm. which gave uh, Eddie Trujillo, who was doing, you know, my role prior, the ability to focus on what he does best, which is operations. 
Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. And, you know, I, I, you know, helped put a formal discovery day in place, put a kind of funny one, one of the things, and hopefully I'm not getting off in left field, but no, no, no. when I, when I came on board, I learned the, the first day that the, the gentleman that I replaced was emailing prospects, but he was not calling them. Okay. <laughs> so it's crazy what you do when you actually yeah. pick up the phone. So what I immediately started doing was not only sending an email and saying, thank you for responding, you know inquiring about you break, I fixed, you know, the email kind of a, a template, yeah. but I was picking up the phone and I was actually saying, Hey, this, you know, is Brinson Smith with you break, I fix. And, you know, I saw you reached out about franchise opportunities and, you know, I'd love to learn a little more about you and see if it's a fit and discuss geography. It's crazy what happens yeah. when you do that and you, yeah. and you get personal and you, you talk to people. So I was able to, I think, help put more of that process in and put discovery days and, you know, hire a sales team, grow a sales team. And, manage that process. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So do you guys go through, like you, you said, the, the, the geographic locations and all of that, obviously the areas have to qualify, you know, to be able to support a franchise, right? I mean, you, you have to be so far away from other ones and, you know, are there any other variables that you look at, you know, when you're, and I guess this is kind of like an open-ended question, not maybe not necessarily sure. focused in on I break you fix, but you know, when, when you're looking for a franchise location, I've never really looked into to franchising before, but you know, sure. if you're looking for a franchise location, is there, you know, certain things that you want to be able to, you know, sort of check off that, you know, you want to know what the traffic counts are. You want to know, you know, if there's other competition around you, whatever that is, or like what we do in, in real estate is, you know, we look for specific, you know, benchmarks in the area, you know, does, is there a Chick-fil-A around? Is there a target around, you know, yeah. or is it, is it like, Smart. you know, yeah. Are there other things like, you know, like the, the off-branded cellular places where, you know, maybe that's an area you don't want to go in. So are there, are yeah. there similar things that you guys do as well to sort of qualify an area before you would say, yeah, you know, this is, you know, the best, the best option for us in that, that general area. Yeah. And I think, I think you're, I mean, you're spot on with what you said. I, I think that what we call it in the franchising space, and it's probably in the real estate world in general called this, but we, we call it retail piggybacking okay. where yeah. we look at uh, retailers that are, you know, that are existing that will either sell a device that we will repair or support or, or something like to give you an example, AT&T, Verizon, uh, T-Mobile, Sprint, I guess, T-Mo Sprint, I guess is the mm -hmm. same one now, mm -hmm. Best Buy, Fry's Electronics. I'm going, I'm dating myself now with, you know, <laughs> Circuit City. You know, some of those brands that, that, that sell or activate devices in the market that we repair, we want to be in a market where they are. And if we're looking at a market, right, 
you know, take a, um, I don't know why I'm pulling this one up, but take Tupelo, Mississippi as an example. If you do, you know, some research on Tupelo, Mississippi, and there isn't a Verizon there, we're probably going to scratch our head and go, huh, is there an AT&T? Well, there's no AT&T. That's interesting. Yeah. Is there a Sprint, a T-Mobile? Okay, well, there's one. Well, that's, that's strange. Is there a Best Buy? No, there's not. And then we start looking at other retailers. They're, you know, Target's not there, but Walmart is. You know, Home Depot's there, but Lowe's isn't. And you start to, you know, for us, you know, we would probably fall uh, air on the side of caution in, in a scenario like that. So, it, it, and, and I don't also want to paint the picture that our, our whole focus are other franchisors, which is what we are. We're a franchisor. Our focus is, is just retail piggybacking. We also look at a, two other things that, that we look at at a high level that are really important. One is uh, population density. We look for typically 100,000 people in a market which in an urban market, which would be like a New York City or San Francisco or like a downtown Miami or Philadelphia, uh, Houston, those would be, you'd find 100,000 people in probably a mile, maybe yeah. a mile and a half, could be even a half a mile. And you don't really look at it as a radius in New York because it's more of a grid, yeah. which is kind of weird because in other areas that, that become more suburban and rural, you, we do look more at a radius, but in urban markets, you kind of, you, you have to look at it a little differently, uh, I think. So for us, we give our owners, we're, we're looking for about 100,000 people, you know, for a store to be, you know, successful. So to go back to like the Tupelo example, let's say Tupelo at 100,000 people, we wouldn't do two stores in Tupelo because at the end of the day, any healthy system, and, and this is, I think, good, like if anybody on this, you know, listening to this is looking at franchising, you know, you want to make sure you're going into a system too that is not going to overdevelop and infringe on you. Because, you know, they're salivating on royalties and, hey, let's just get as many doors open uh, as we can and let's get franchise fees in. That's not, you want to you wanna go with a system that is married to the partnership. It's all about longevity, long-term, and they truly want you to be successful and they want unit level economics, you know, have to be there. Like, that's number yeah. one. If owners aren't making money and it's not a healthy system, run for the hills. So that's the first thing. The second thing would be, quality of population, meaning what is the average household income? So for, for us, we're typically looking at like, you know, somewhere in the realm, I, I would say a national average of maybe 55,000 average household, okay. which in New York might be 85, 90, yeah. you know, or San Francisco could be 90, 100, you know, if you're, yep. you're looking at like Tiburon or an area in San Francisco, that's really high net worth. So that's what we look at. And then I, again, third, uh, retail piggybacking, so on and so forth, su super important for us. And yeah. and if someone was to, if someone was interested in creating a, I, I break, you fix, no, yes, I break, you fix. I keep it's, getting you, that it's all good, man. It's you break, I fix, but it, you break, I fix. I, I got it. When, got I it. Right. Heard, when I first heard, when I first heard it, I said, I said, I break, uh, you fix too. So yeah, yeah no worries there. <laughs> got it. Got it. So when, if someone was, was interested in creating a, a franchise, do you help them choose a location? Is it, you know, do they, does it, you know, have to be, you know, within so many miles of wherever they are located at so they can kind of help? Or is it, you know, something that they just say, Hey, I want to create a, a franchise. You guys have the, you guys have the playbook and, you know, help me find a place. Like how, how does that process work? Yeah, good question. So most franchisors that are sophisticated, that are that are larger or, or going about it the right way, have already looked at the landscape domestically, as an mm -hmm. example. They've looked at the entire country 
and they've said, hey, based on these economic indicator, based on these indicators that, that I mentioned earlier, and maybe a few other ones, depending on their business model, what markets do we want to be in? Now, as you get more granular on a market, like a Seattle, Washington, you know, and you're looking at that market, okay, well, is Seattle viable? Yes, it is for sure. Well, how many stores can we fit in Seattle based yeah. on the population, based on the, the incomes and, and based on the retailers, you know, that we have. So that's another thing that we try to do. So, you know, you take a, a market like, you know, Orlando, Florida, where you have two and a half million people, simple math would tell you off the top of my head, and I'm not, I'm not great at math, but yeah. I think that would say that 25 stores, two, right. 2.5 million people, 25 stores could fit in Orlando as an example. Well, when you start looking at the uh, average household income, we want to be in markets where you would find a Jimmy John's, a Starbucks, a Chipotle, a Zaxby's, you know, a Best Buy, so on and so forth. When you look at some of those markets in Orlando, you know, they're heavy with, you know, uh, check cashing, pawn shops. You right. know, you get into those markets where they're lower income and there's nothing wrong with those markets. We just want to make sure that the customer can afford to spend the money the discretionary, you know, they have that discretionary income to spend on our service. So, you know, you, you look at Orlando as an example, you'd probably take 10 off, you know, because 10 stores that, you know, you, you cross-reference the incomes and you're like, yeah, we're probably somewhere in the 10 to 15, 10 to 16 stores in a market, mm -hmm. you know, with two and a half minutes. So that's what we would do. And then we'd say, okay, and, and sorry for jumping around, but to go yeah. back to Orlando, let's say we have 15 and that's what we, we say, you know, we want to sell or we want to award to, you know, prospective franchisees. The next step would be, okay, well, do, do we want to sell this to one person mm -hmm. or do we want to sell it to multiple? Well, you know, when you look at one person that would take 15 stores, well, how long would it take them to get 15 open? That could yeah. take them five, six years. And most franchises don't want to tie up that geography that long. Uh, with one prospect that, by the way, might or might not be proven, uh, may or may not be proven yet, because maybe they don't have franchising experience, but they have a ton of capital. So that would be a high risk scenario. So what we would do in a scenario like that is we'd say, hey, look, Mr. Miss Franchisee, you know, you're a newer franchisee, you have the capital to do 10, 15. Why don't you start with five? Or why don't you start with three? And then, and then let's move forward. And, and, you know, if there's opportunity to do more later, and you want to do more, you know, we'd love to give you that, but we don't want to, you know, we never want to put too much on somebody's plate if we know upfront that it's too much, yep, you know, because yep. we're setting them up for failure, if that makes yeah, sense. That does make sense. And and so you guys would have already pre-qualified an area. So do you basically give yes. them, you know, here's your block, find a location, you know, that, that, you know, is in that block somewhere? Or do you guys actually physically say, okay, this is, you know, this is your location. This is where you're going to go. Yeah. So we're, we try to have a, a really good collaboration between, you know, the franchise or the franchisee relationship, you know, at our company, there are a lot of large companies that, you know, and, and again, not throwing rocks at anybody, but like, I imagine McDonald's is probably more so like, this is where we're going to go. And, yeah. and uh, I think, you know, this, McDonald's business is real estate. Like right. that yep. is their core business. Yeah. So I imagine they lead more so with like, here's where we're going, who is the right fit. And it's more of, you know, that kind of conversation where, you know, with us, we're going into 800 to 1200 square foot strip centers, typically like, you know, that, that plaza road visibility, you know, mm -hmm. where, where all the major retailers are. 
And, you know, it's, it's a pretty quick build out, but we're relying a lot on the franchisee to give us feedback, but we're also looking at the markets as well. Our real estate team is super sophisticated. Ryan Frost, who, who runs our, our real estate uh, development department, she's incredible. She's been doing it now for, you know, seven, eight years, has opened up, you know, hundreds of locations. So mm-hmm. we want to have a two thumbs up too. We want to be able to look at the, you know, the, the franchisee in the eye and we want them to be excited about it. Yeah. We want to as well. Now, if the franchisee goes, I hate it, I don't like it. And, 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 and we, you break, I fix is saying, you know, Assurian is saying, well, we like it. We need buy-in on both sides. Yeah. And we do support the franchisee. Most franchisors, by the way, you know, that, that are, again, McDonald's is, 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 is unique in the space. And there are some others that are maybe, you know, pretty similar to McDonald's, but most franchise systems will have a real estate team. They'll be collaborative. Mm-hmm. They'll work uh-huh. with you to yeah. identify the space, all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of flip, flipped real quick. And again, this, this could be a very, very long answer, but, <laughs> but, uh, Flip this around, you know, with with you being, you know, on the the uh, franchisee or franchisor side, I guess. What are some of those things that you've learned, you know, in in going down that path? And just, you know, anything come to to mind? Like these are the types of things you want to make sure that you have in place. You know, you mentioned some of the things that they, that, you know, you want to have a good attorney and you want to, you know, make sure that you know the documents are not just off the shelf documents. Are there anything? Is there anything else that sort of comes to mind as? Oh yeah, you know that was one of the things that we learned early on that you know we should have done it a different way. Or there anything anything that sort of stands out that in that sense of you know maybe maybe yeah. something to look out for when you're looking to create your own franchise or start your own franchise. Yeah, I, I I think so. I think I would start with this. I've gone to a lot of franchise shows over the years, which by the way, I think that is a great place to start if you are looking to either start a franchise or invest in one. Go go look at what's out there. Go to a friend, and I know that it's uncomfortable now, the pandemic, and you know people are more introverted, you know, in their home. But get out, you know, if you feel comfortable, you know, get mm-hmm. out and go to a show. Franchisors are uh, still attending shows. Uh, turnouts are still a little bit low, but hopefully they continue to increase. If they don't, like you know, franchisors will end up not doing shows, and I think that's a bummer. Like I think it's it's super impactful to be able to talk to people that spearhead development that you know, are representing these brands and ask them tough questions and meet them face to face. And I think that if you are starting your own, I think it's great to understand what the competitive landscape looks like. Yeah, like who great. is out there? What is your business? Are there, are there uh, competitors that are actually going to these shows? Kind of interesting. When I first started back with You Break, I Fix, I, I got really aggressive about shows. I also love travel. You know, I've mm-hmm. flown a lot. Uh, I told you about my background. And clearly my, my old man loves to travel. So for me, getting on a plane and going to a random city and putting up a booth and like talking to people, like that's what I've done my whole life. So I started going to shows. And at the time I realized like for the, well, actually the, up until now, still our major competitor, they don't go to shows at all. Wow. So I was like, well, this is a huge advantage. And I, we've probably sold, you know, between me and my team, I don't know, 30, 40 locations uh, over the last seven years from going to shows that if we just said, Hey, we're not going to go to them. Like we, you know, yeah, we would have been missing out. That does it take work? Is it uncomfortable? Are you away from your family? Do you have to stay in a random hotel? Yeah. But you know, if you're cool with doing that, do it. So that would be advice. But back to what I was getting at, when you go to these shows, You'll see a lot of people that are starting that are that are local. You know, some are small local shows where, 
you know, there's an Orlando show, there's a Miami show, a Tampa show, a Jacksonville show, and you'll have local people that are wanting to start a franchise and they might have a success, a successful business where they have proof of concept in Jacksonville as an example, mm -hmm. but the show comes to town and they're like, they talk to somebody and they're like, Hey, we want to franchise it. Well, my biggest pet peeve is the guy or gal that has the sub franchise or has the ice cream franchise or has the, whatever it is, I guess you could fill that in with, with any business and they, they just started it or they only have one unit. Yeah. They've never scaled it. They've never hired more than five employees. They have no handbook, no manual. They, they may or may not have an FDD. Usually they have to have an FDD and they've started to think through that. But what you don't want to do is follow somebody where it's the blind leading the blind, yeah. where you're the guinea pig or the test dummy for the concept. Run for the hills. Don't do it. I do think there's advantages to being like early on in a company and being that pioneer. But keep in mind, the pioneer oftentimes gets the arrows in the back. Yeah. So, you know, with franchising, you know, I think being that, you know, being that there's a system in place, there's a recipe and there's been a track record. And, and one of the, and, and, and by the way, like there's a lot of good brands out there. I think you break, I fix a Shurian, And I told you earlier, prior to jumping on, we actually are rebranding. Our, our company is going to be rebranding itself to Assurian Tech Repair and Solutions. And there's a lot of advantages. There's a lot of reasons why we're doing that through 2022. But, you know, when You Break I Fix was founded back in, you know, 2008, nine, we started with one and then they quickly grew the business. So when we started franchising in 2013, we had 47 locations. We had yeah. a track record. We had, so I like that. And I'm not saying you need 47, but just think about that. You know, if you're jumping into something, make sure you're following somebody that has, has been where you want to go. Otherwise, you might not get the results you want. I would say that's the first thing. I would say one other thing really quickly, jump into a system that really get a sense of who the founders are or the owners are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, one of the reasons why my, my mom has been a franchisee, my cousin still is, my brother still is, and some of my really close friends are, is because the founders of the company and the people, the leadership, best of the best, incredible yeah. human beings, super trustworthy. And I think it's really important to get to know them at a high level. And if you don't have a good sense of who they are as people, and by the way, like you're joining a huge company, you might not get that feeling. Like right yeah. now today, you join Assurian, we're a great company, but, but it's a different scenario. But True. get to yeah. know the leadership, whether yeah. it's a founder run company or it's a, a large company like Assurian, you know, you, you want to know, hey, what is Assurian's plan for the company? Why did they acquire you, Break I Fix? What are some of the things that Assurian's done since they acquired the company? By the way, if you have interest, happy to go through all of those things with you. And I think it's a very compelling story and a great opportunity. But that's something you really, really want to get to know because it is a marriage. It's a relationship. Franchising mm -hmm. is, a, is a marriage. And I think that's important. And then I guess lastly, unit level economics have to make sense. If the unit level economics don't make sense when you're looking at the company, don't buy it thinking that they might in the future. They probably won't. You know, buy into something where the economics are favorable and they make sense because at the end of the day, you're probably taking a huge step and you, your family is probably reliant on this as a business, on, as, a, as an income. And then one other thing to think about too, and this is just, you know, kind of high level thought. Keep in mind, just because a franchise is a franchise 
doesn't mean that you couldn't acquire an existing business that's already operating. Mm-hmm. And you might mm-hmm. say, one of the things that I've always been asked in, in, in the, uh, the real estate background you know, that I have that we talked about prior, and you've probably heard this a lot too with your background in real estate, well, if it's such a good deal, well, why is it for sale? Yeah, 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 well, right. <laughs> I mean, job relocation, health issues, especially in the current environment that we're in. I've, I know a lot of people that have been impacted you know, through the pandemic uh, with health-related issues, health, divorce. There are so many different yeah, reasons. life happens. So don't, yeah, so don't ever get in that you know, state of mind where it's like you're overanalyzed and it's almost like the fail mechanism is kicking in where mm-hmm, you're like, mm-hmm. You know, you start to think that way because you're like, oh, well, you know, it, it's just too good to be true. And then you don't ever actually have to take that step, you know, and it's kind of yeah. that safe box you're keeping yourself in. Don't get caught up in that. There are tons of opportunities in systems across the board where franchisors are going, hey, if we had a good operator, like we would sell our corporate door maybe. And by, by the way, I'm not saying us, uh, Assurian, yeah, yeah. but I'm saying there are other systems out there. They might have corporate doors that they maybe they bought from a franchisee that was not performing well. The corporation got it turned around, but that's not what they do long term, and they just want to sell it. And there's a revenue stream or an income for you to 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 acquire. So that's another thing to just think about. You know, if, if franchising is is one of the uh, paths that you're looking at. Yeah, no, that makes that makes perfect sense. I, I love all the the advice and tips and and all of that. This is. This is a really, really packed full episode here. So I certainly appreciate that. If, if people want to learn more about you or maybe they're interested in jumping into a, a new branded uh, franchise, what would be the best way to reach out and get in touch or learn more? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. So a few different ways. So our, our franchising site is still, we're actually in the process of updating and rebranding everything, but you can go to our, our website, which is at, at, as of today, youbreakifix.com. And it's, you know, uh, spelled youbreakifix.com, not Y-O-U, but the letter U. And then you you click on franchising. You can fill out your information, submit a request. You know, me or one of my team members would, would love to chat with you. If you want to directly connect with me, you want to speak with me, you know, you know, chat about something, you know, not related to what we talked about today, you know, I'm happy to, you know, feel free to b.smith at youbreakifix.com is my email address. Feel free to reach out and I'd love to love to chat. Excellent. Excellent. Bryson, this has been fantastic. Again, uh, many, many thanks and uh, look forward to seeing what you guys do next. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.